We get it. You're busy. You don't have time to waste on the mainstream media. That's why Salem News Channel is here. We have hosts worth watching, actually discussing the topics that matter. Andrew Wilkow, Dinesh D'Souza, Brandon Tatum, and more. Open debate and free speech you won't find anywhere else. We're not like the other guys. We're Salem News Channel. Watch anytime on any screen for free 24-7 at snc.tv. And on Local Now, Channel 525. It's Ask the Lawyer with Mike Connors. Got questions concerning elder or state law? Attorney Mike Connors has the answer. He was recognized in 2020 as one of New York's top lawyers by New York Magazine and brings over 30 years' experience to the table. His office number is 718-238-6500. That's 718-238-6500. Here's Mike Connors. We are gathered here on hallowed ground. Welcome to Ask the Lawyer with me, Mike Connors. Uh, the show is usually in two parts. The first part of the show, we talk about estate planning and elder law. And the idea behind estate planning is to pass assets from one generation to the next, paying the least amount in taxes we need to pay legally, avoiding going through court. That's avoiding probate. And as far as elder law is concerned, our main goal is to try to save assets from nursing home bills. The second part of the show, we talk about a, a wide variety of subjects, whether it's history, politics, religion, film, whatever. But to start us on the estate planning, we've got with with us one of our senior attorneys, Justin Daly. Welcome to the show, Justin. And thank you for having me today. Okay, so let me ask you something. I forget. Why did I hire you? Uh, because I was an Eagle Scout. Yeah. Well, at least that's how you got the interview, but yes, I guess. And what, what, what are the benefits of Scout? Because I think Boy Scouts, I think, you know, the benefits of, of scouting have not been recognized over the last few years. Well, I think, I mean, it, it exposes you to the basics of civics and, you know, community, community service and all of those kind of things that aren't often taught in schools. I mean, that's one part of it. And then the other part of it is the ability to, um, you know, start something and finish it. You know, there's there's got to be something to be said for that. And so I think that's why when people see an Eagle Scout on a resume, it's a, an automatic indicator that here's somebody even at a young age, you know, took the time to accomplish something that not a lot of people do. And, I mean, you look throughout history, the people that are Eagle Scouts, you got astronauts, presidents. Well, maybe not the president so much, should I emphasize, but, you know, the astronauts, generals, different people who've done great things. Michael, you were an Eagle Scout. Do you agree with Justin on that? Yeah, I would be inclined to. I mean, it's it's one of the most valuable things I ever did when I was younger. You know, that's... um. Yeah, no, I wouldn't trade it for anything. And you speak of director Steven Spielberg. He's an Eagle Scout. All right. So, Justin, you know, we talk, obviously, we do a lot of estate planning here. That's the name of the game. Uh, what's a question that came, that came up to you from, uh, I think, was it George in Middle Village? Do we have that question, Michael? Yes, we do. George from Middle Village wrote us an email saying, he heard that the power of attorney law was recently updated. Does he need to update his power of attorney in turn? Uh, Justin, you want to handle that? Go ahead. Yeah, I'd be happy to. George, the simple answer is yes. 
last year in June 13th, uh, they updated the law. That's That was the effective date for the new form. Um, years past, I might not have put a big emphasis on it, um, but nowadays when dealing with banks, if a new form is updated, you will have resistance a lot of times from almost every single bank and even sometimes their back office. Uh, there's not a lot of reason and logic that goes into bank processes these days, unfortunately, and even people that are in the banking sector um, are frustrated with their own back offices. So if there is a new updated form, I strongly suggest getting it done. Um, and, and just generally speaking, though, uh, I want to emphasize the need for a power of attorney. As our family members are getting older, uh, it's often the power of attorney is the most instrumental um, document that we need to be able to help move assets, pay bills, and just you know get a good estate plan going to shelter assets and protect the family's needs and just to keep the day-to-day -day going on. Uh, now, a lot of times, like somebody would ask me, hey, I'm married. My husband's on all my accounts. Why do I need a power of attorney for my husband if he has a stroke? Uh, when you're applying for Medicaid, sometimes we need to request medical records. And if we don't have a, you know, the healthcare proxy should sometimes be enough. But a lot of times some offices, some hospitals, uh, we're not dealing with uh, the doctor anymore or the office manager even. We're, we're dealing with this huge, weird nebulous of a healthcare system. And sometimes they need to see that power of attorney, which authorizes us to request medical records. So, you know, yes, your husband and wife, yes, you're joined on the accounts, but you can't always sign for everything. And another big one is a deed change. If we need to change a deed to take a, a spouse out who's going into a nursing home, we need a power of attorney if that spouse can't sign. Um, and the reason why I'm, I'm bringing that up is a lot of times we'll have social workers say, oh, don't worry about your house. Um, we can apply for Medicaid. Uh, even you're, you're, you live in the home talking to the, spell, the, the, the healthy spouse, not realizing that if something happens to that healthy spouse, we end up having the deed alone in that unhealthy spouse's name, and then a huge Medicaid lien gets slapped against the house, and the children have to pay that Medicaid lien when they could have easily avoided that had they had a good power of attorney and the deed been changed. Yeah, and I mean, that's one of the, and I want to stress this, you know, if you're married 40 years, that doesn't mean there's an automatic right between husband and wife to sign each other's name. Let's say, you, you know, you have a million-dollar house or a two-million-dollar house. Husband goes to a nursing home. We want to switch the deed over to the wife's name, whether she does a will leaving the house to the kids, whether she does preferably a trust leaving the house to the kids. But we want to protect that house because let's say husband's going to a nursing home. Social worker applies for Medicaid for the the husband finding good wife dies first and people don't always die in the right order wife dies first house completely belongs to husband he's in a nursing home he's got a fifteen thousand dollar a month lien going against his estate and that ain't necessarily good in the long run so you know that that's where the power of attorney comes into play and even some cases if you're applying for home care medicaid if you don't have a power of attorney it's difficult to set up what we call the pooled income trust and to apply for home care Medicaid. So there, there are a hundred different reasons. And I want to stress again, you know, some people think, well, I'm married. Uh, we're married 20, 30 years. Am I not automatically able to sign my spouse's name? And the answer is no. And when you use a PAV attorney too, don't necessarily use the standard form. Can you give some examples, Justin? What, what's wrong with the standard form? Well, the standard form right now, they actually did increase it from, I believe it was a $500 limitation to a 
$5,000 limitation of being able to make transfers. So one of the big things that any good estate planning attorney will do is they will add modifications to the form, which allow for transfers greater than that $5,000. Now that's not, we're not saying you're giving away, uh, your kid has the authority just to take all your money and effectively embezzle it. No, no, no. That's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about is moving assets into a trust. So it's still for your benefit and effectively tax wise and the rest still yours. Um, but we are not authorized to do those transfers unless we have those modifications in our power of attorney. It's essential that you have a good power of attorney done by a proper estate planning practitioner. The, the, the normal form is really only for paying bills, to be quite honest. It may be a one-off transaction here or there, but it does not allow for the estate planning work that we have to do when we're trying to get somebody on Medicaid or if we're just simply trying to avoid probate court by creating a trust to bypass the probate proceeding. And, you know, sometimes even when we start dealing with estates with millions of dollars in it, um, you want to have attorney that will allow you to make gifts in excess of certain amounts. You know, like in other words, let's say somebody's got uh, a, a single person has a seven million dollar estate. Well, you know, in a lot of cases with proper gifting, we can save about six, seven hundred thousand dollars in estate taxes. And if we don't have a, a good have attorney that allows us the additional powers, the additional gifting powers, we may be stuck. So I, I can't stress this enough. If you, you know, you need to have attorney for proper estate planning. Again, if you don't have a family member you can trust, maybe you got to give it a second thought, a second guess. But if you have relatives you can trust, you trust your relatives over the court system, and I hope you do, then you really want to do, uh, you know, a PAV attorney. And I want to bring up one point, too, you know, earlier from Justin. Let's say you had a relative who signed a PAV attorney a couple of years ago, and, you know, they can't sign a new PAV attorney now because they had a stroke in between. Don't panic. That PAV attorney signed before is still good, and we can use it. It's just we might have a slight delay going through the, the bank's legal department and whatever because in a lot of times banks, the, 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 the people who work at the bank at the desk say, well, this PAV attorney is not good because it's not current with the current law. Well, when they sign the law, they say that if you sign a PAV attorney prior to the change in the law it's still good but then you got to sometimes maneuver through the legal department or through the bank clerks and tellers and so forth bank officers and not every bank officer has the same level of expertise and so sometimes you go to a smaller bank with with them and you don't want to fight when you're talking about your husband's in a nursing home and you want to move things you, you don't want to get in arguments you don't want to get in fights you don't want to get delays so the safer thing is to update your power of attorney every couple of years, I would say. But at the same time, don't panic if you're, let's say your father signed a power of attorney two, three years ago. He's not mentally competent to, to update it. We can use it, push comes to shove. So, you know, don't panic on that. Um, and, and, you know, this is what people always ask me, you know, like how many years should I go and update my will? Well, in a lot of cases, when you do a will, if circumstances don't change, that will's good forever. But a PAV attorney, I'd say you probably do want to update it every few years or whatever. And, I, again, don't panic. You don't have to. I mean, this, this is not like a right, wrong answer. But you may want to update your PAV attorney every few years because, you know, you want to use the path of least resistance. Not that the old PAV attorney is not good. It's good. But the path of least resistance in some cases, you know, you, you, you want to get things updated so the bank, officers or whatever are going to take it without sending it to the legal department. And, of course, if they send it to the legal department, in some cases you just got to wait for them for, you know, a couple of weeks or 
in some cases a month. And that can be very aggravating when you got a person applying for home care Medicaid, you want to get the assets moving, you want to apply for benefits, or if you're paying $15,000 a month to the nursing home, you know, you, you, you do want to move it, you know, more quickly. Now, Justin, I got to ask you again. We, we started talking. What's your favorite film? My favorite film? Yes. Oh, wow. That's, that's a very tough one. Um, I think I'll go for an oldie rather than something more recent. So if I was going to go from something from like the golden age of cinema, I would have to go with Casablanca. Okay. I think that is one of the most well shot movies, but also the dialogue and the script writing is probably one of the best, especially considering the time period in which it was written. Yeah. You know, I understand some of the script writers, they were writing the script as the movie was being shot. (laughs) So, I mean, it was a different type of Hollywood. Right now, it's, you know, every movie is made by committee. Mm-hmm. And so everything is overly thought out and structured, which is why maybe you don't get the spontaneity of a Casablanca. Yeah, and I think one of the interesting things about Casablanca is, like, all of a sudden you're entering into a into World War II, and they wanted to effectively get out a propaganda movie. And I think that's an interesting part of that movie, that it was effectively a propaganda movie, yet it had one of the best stories, and it had all the very round characters, and then some of the the humor in it was just great. Now, Beth maybe said, did Humphrey Bogart wear stilts on that final scene? You You know, because he was too short to be with Ingrid Bergman. Let's just say he was elevated. By Ingrid Bergman. <laughs> and I mean, again, we did do an interview once with, with Alan Rohde about Michael Curtis, who was the director of Casablanca, who some of the film critics I respect did not put Michael Curtis in the highest level, but at the same time, the guy did direct uh, some great motion pictures, you know, Life with Father, Charge of the Light Brigade, Robin Hood. Um, oh, he did Casablanca. Robin Hood? Yes, that's Michael actually Curtis. that's actually I think an underrated movie. It really is a good one. Didn't he do um, Born on the Fourth of July or the, not the, the uh, Old Town? What's the George M. Cohen? Yeah, George Yankee M. Cohen. Doodle Dandy. Yankee Doodle Dandy. That's it. Thank you. No, I, he the the thing that I am, am impressed. His movies are so different. He goes from musicals to it's just great. Okay, so. If you want to talk about film one day, you can do that. Of course, I get criticized by a lot of my staff for talking too long to some of the clients. But if you want to come in, if you want to see the the military miniature collection, go ahead. We're giving tours right now. Um, don't ask Justin for the tour because he's a little bit too busy. Or I just might tell you the the wrong soldier is going with the wrong... Wrong war. Exactly. Wrong century. It, it, it happens sometimes. Yeah, I've seen that happen. I'm wrong not saying century. I'm perfect. That's right. All. All right. Well, we're going to take a short break. We'll be back in a few minutes. Justin, thank you for being with with us on Ask the Lawyer. And thank you for having me on Ask the Lawyer. I have children. How can I protect them if something happens? Will my assets be lost if I go into a nursing home? We have property. How will it affect the ones still here? Who will help us take care of Grandma? 
These questions can be answered by calling 718-238-6500 for a free consultation from Connors & Sullivan Attorneys at Law, providing dedicated, caring, and highly responsive legal services. They're focused on issues that matter to you, protection of your family, preservation of your assets, and respect of your wishes with dignity. That's all I want from a lawyer, making it easier for my children. Call 718-238-6500. Get a free consultation. Connors & Sullivan's clients don't get lost in the cracks. They have dedicated attorneys who know their clients and the issues that matter most to them. Connors & Sullivan's estate planning, elder law, and probate attorneys work closely with every client. Don't leave behind problems for your family. Call 718-238-6500 and get a free consultation today. Connors & Sullivan. Plan now for later. Do you have somewhere to sleep? Did you eat today? Are you making ends meet? For thousands of New Yorkers, the answer is no. For children and youth, adults, seniors, people struggling with addiction or mental illness, and for the isolated, Catholic Charities of Brooklyn and Queens is there. With 160 programs and more than 4,500 units of affordable housing, Catholic Charities is one of the largest multi-service charitable organizations in the nation. We help change lives and build communities. If you or someone you know needs assistance, call 718-722-6001 or visit CCB. BQ.org. Do you know how many Christians live in the Middle East? Six million people. Do you know how many Christians need your help? Every single one. Do you know what we can do? With St. Francis in Beirut, we can give them hope. We can give them medicines. We can give them medical equipment. We can give them everything they're looking for because some others decided to remove Christianity from the Middle East. But if we will help them every single day, not just to feed them or clothing, it's all about giving them another day with the idea that they are recognized, that we love them, there are cousins, sisters, there are roots. So St. Francis in Beirut, it's all about helping Christians. And you can be part of that help too. If you want to help Father Paul in his mission, send your donations to St. Francis in Beirut 213 Stanton Street, New York, New York, 10002. Welcome back to Ask the Lawyer with me, Mike Connors. Now I'm accompanied by Nicole Donnelly. Welcome back to the show, Nicole. Always a pleasure to be here. Okay, so what issue has come up where you we want to discuss with the audience? So what I've been seeing lately with our clients is they go to the bank with their parents. They're able to write checks. They say they use the power of attorney, but they also claim to be joined on the account. And then if mom and dad pass away, the account gets frozen and they don't understand what happened since they've been using the account the whole time and under the impression that they are the joint account holder. Why is this happening, Mr. Connors? Tell our listeners. Okay, well, here's the thing. You know, a power of attorney... And it's a very important document, and I would recommend that every senior citizen who has family members they can trust, and that's uh, sort of a big if, if you have family members you can trust, should have a power of attorney where you allow somebody else, usually a family member, and of course it doesn't have to be a family member, but 90, 95% of the time it will be, where if you get sick, they can sign your name, uh, transact banking business, among other things. And, you know, a lot of people take the power of attorney, they take it to the bank, the bank puts the power of attorney on the account, but the power of attorney dies with the person who made the power of attorney, the grantor of the power of attorney. So let's say we got, you know, mother, daughter, mother signs a power of attorney appointing her daughter as the power of attorney. 
Daughter takes it to the bank. Daughter starts writing checks on that account, which is fine. But that does not make the account joint. That does not avoid probate on that account. So for the sake of argument, if we have power of attorney on, on the account, mom passes away. Daughter can't access the account through the power of attorney once mom is gone. And then that account will go through probate. Now, there are different ways we can get around that. There are a lot of ways we can get around that. We can have the bank account in trust for. We can have the bank account joint. We can put the bank account in a trust. We draw up an agreement. And let's say daughter here in this case is an only child. Mom leaves everything to daughter. Daughter can collect the account the day after mom's gone with a death certificate. But if the na- if the asset, if the bank account is in mom's name alone, even if the daughter has a power of attorney, when mom dies, that account's going to be frozen and daughter's going to have to go through probate. And even in the best of worlds right now, probate, you know, it's paperwork time, bureaucracy. But in today's world, probate in some cases has taken years when it shouldn't take years, but it is just because of the, you know, the court bureaucracy, people are working from home, COVID, some judges, and you can read the newspapers, some judges have used COVID as an excuse not to work. And sometimes they're there, you know, for months not doing any real work. And meanwhile, you want to get into a bank account and it's frozen. Of course, if it's a house, it's worse or a co-op. The worst thing I've seen right now with co-ops is somebody passes away. The stock certificate to the co-op is in, let's say, the parent, the decedent's name alone. Children want to sell the co-op to have to go to court. And it could take two years to get a court order to sell the uh, apartment through the through a will. You, you don't want to be there. And you know, two years is a very long time if you're paying the maintenance, you're paying the mortgage on the account. And a lot of times in a co-op, the equity starts getting eaten up before you know it. And you, you might have a buyer. And meanwhile, you're still paying your maintenance. You're still paying your mortgage. You have a buyer, but you can't close. It's not a good situation to be. I mean, the same thing can happen with a house, but usually at a house, we usually have a lot of equity there, so the equity is not eaten up just because you don't get a court order in a few months. But the the point is, you should have a power of attorney. It's a very important document. If you have family members you can trust, you want to put them on your power of attorney. Again, you also have to be careful. You give power of attorney to someone else, they can wipe you out, they can steal you blind. And I know some people out there listen to what they want to listen to, and some of them are going to say, well, Mr. Connor said, don't put you put don't put my son on the power of attorney because he might steal you blind. <laughs> the question is, you got to you got to tell us whether you trust your children or not. But in my experience, 90, 95 percent of the time, the children will do the right thing for their parents. And there's an exception to every rule. I know there, there there's some children would probably steal the gold teeth out of the corpse of their mother or father before they're even gold. So but if you trust your children. Think about doing a power of attorney. And again, but the power of attorney ends with you. A power of attorney does not avoid probate. A power of attorney is there to pay bills, manage your assets. God forbid you have a stroke or another disabling illness. So, Nicole, you went to a seminar about veterans benefits. I sure did. Okay. So, you know, I think one thing that a lot of people out there don't know if you're a veteran or the widow of a veteran and you fall on hard times, you might be eligible for aid and attendance. Now, aid and attendance is a program. It, it's involving usually non-service-connected disability. So let's say you have a veteran. He has a stroke at 80. Um, he needs care. Well, if, if he's a married veteran, 
he could get up to $2,000 a month from the VA to help pay his bills at home. Now, there's regulations on this, and it's a little difficult to get there. And there is a three-year look-back period for home care Medicaid. And this is where the world gets confusing. Because, let's say, for nursing home Medicaid, there's a five-year look-back period. For home care Medicaid, there's right now a one-month look-back period that's going to change to 30 months whenever they get around to change the law after technically after COVID is over. And then from the VA, we have a three-year look-back period. So it does get confusing. But if you have less than $127,000 in assets, not counting your house, then you could be eligible for this aid and attendance. There are different ways to work it. But basically, if you're paying home care bills, you're in assisted living, the VA will pay, let's say, $2,000 a month toward your care. And this is overlooked a lot because there are a lot of veterans that um, just don't know about this. And, you know, and sometimes they may apply when, let's say, you have $150,000 worth of assets. Then you spend a few months in assisted living. Next thing you know, you're under $125,000. Then you could be eligible for this benefit. And the government, you know, don't expect it to, it's the federal government, don't expect, expect it to come, you know, too early. It does not make it easy, and usually at the time. What I learned at my seminar that I went to is by the time people start looking for these services, you're not a spring chicken, right? It's not easy for you to run around and start looking for all these documents. And maybe you have dementia. Maybe something's going on, and your children don't know anything about what happened when you served or where to find your papers so the process is long, and sometimes collecting the documents is also a long process if things have been lost. So it's definitely an uphill battle. If you're thinking about it, I recommend start young. <laughs> well, here's one thing. I mean, I, I think that's a good point. If you're a veteran, let your spouse, your children know where you keep your discharge. Because a lot of times that's a, a problem. One, we don't know sometimes if you're eligible for benefits, if we don't know your date of service. Um, basically, to, to be eligible for the aid and attendance, you have to serve during time of war. Do, do you have to serve in a war zone? No. Like for the sake of argument, I was in the United States Army in, from 1973, 4, and 5. I'm eligible for this aid and attendance if I fall on hard times because I served during a period of war. Now, I served in, in Germany for two and a half years, but I get the same benefit as this concerned as the guy who's you know, served in Vietnam. Now, at the same time, if you went into the service in 1976 and served for three, four years, you're not eligible for the benefit. If you served between 1955 and 1962, you're not eligible for this benefit. So we got to look at the discharge. And plus, not only that, the VA has to look at the discharge. So I'd say you bring up one point. You should, your family should know where your discharge is kept. Beth? Do you know where my discharge is? No. <laughs> now, the audience, I'm shaking my head right now. So. Well, I've had to walk over to the microphone, and it is probably with your records at our office. And I probably have a photocopy of it at our home. But do I, if, could I say, Michael? Would you please go to such and such and such and get your daddy's discharge papers? I would have to say no. I cannot do it. 
It's okay, Mrs. Connors. You wouldn't be the only one. There's plenty of people that we see that can also not just go to a drawer and find their parents' discharge papers. A lot of the times they can't even tell us what, where they served, at what times. It's very... Yeah, because sometimes you ask the question mm -hmm. and you ask, you ask the son, the daughter, where, where did your father serve? And you get a blank look. Or what years he served. And it's very important what years. Time and dates are extremely important, even down to the veteran's um, exemption. Right. The same thing for veteran's exemption for real estate. Now, they're, they're different. And that, that's a good point. Um, obviously, if you're a wartime veteran, I shouldn't say obviously, but if you live in New York City, New York State, you get a tax break off your real estate tax bill um, if you serve during time of war. Now, relatively recently, and I don't know, recently three, four years, that's recent for me, they expanded that so that if you have somebody, what they call Cold War Warriors Act, if you served, let's say, between 1955 and 1962, you're not eligible for the veterans' aid and attendance. You're not eligible for the full veterans' exemption in New York State, but you are eligible for a you know, secondary exemption. For those people who served in the U.S. Armed Forces, let's say during time of peacetime, which is 1955 to 1960, it could be somebody who served from 1946 to 1950, in other words, between World War II and prior to the Korean War. And if, you, you got to look at the dates because, you know, you might think, well, you know, the World War II ended in August 1945. Well, according to the records, World War II veterans their service, if they served before December 31st, 1946, they are a World War II veteran. That's why you got to look at the discharge. The war was technically over, but at the same time, the veterans' ex benefits are extended to 1946 because, again, you had people in occupation forces in different parts of the world. There were still some people occasionally would, uh, you know, there was some turmoil in Germany right after the war. Some people, you know, it was a dangerous assignment, not as dangerous as during the war, obviously, but you know, that was, you know, considered in. And so people who served, let's say somebody could serve the day after the war was over and they served to 1946, they are a veteran. And, and technically, if somebody was inducted into the service on December 31st, 1946, and they served for more than 90 days, they are a veteran. So that's why you need the discharge. That's why the discharge is so important. And there's, there's also things coming on. If you served in Vietnam, and whether you served in Vietnam, whether you were boots on the ground, as we say, or gray water Navy or blue water Navy, if you were in contact with Agent Orange, there are all sorts of illnesses that they're crediting now toward Agent Orange. And if you are a veteran or you're, you know, your veteran put in for an application, now that, the benefits can be applied to the spouse. So if you're a veteran who died from, you know, and there are about 100 diseases listed, that if you died from one of these diseases or you suffered from one of these diseases, you could be entitled to a disability pension. And, for instance, for the sake of argument, there's some kind of cancers. You could smoke 20 packs of cigarettes a day, have some kind of cancer, but it still could be attributed to the Agent Orange in the Vietnam War, and you may be entitled to you know, some compensation for that because there are a lot of things. Agent Orange was a, a horrible um, chemical. And it did hurt a lot of people. I don't think they knew it back then, but they are admitting it now. And 
you know, if you if you're entitled to the benefits, take a look at it. Now, did you learn anything else of that VA seminar? I don't think I'm allowed to talk about it. Why aren't you allowed to talk about it? I'm missing that one. I mean, I just learned that it's not an easy system to navigate. Not easy for attorneys, let alone the average Joe. It's just, you know, I was in a room full of attorneys. We were all talking about what we go through up and down in the VA system. It is a national system. Um, Being from New York, I thought, you know, it's because of how populated we are here. It's really not just New York. There was people from Alabama that had the same complaints, which I would have never expected. So if you're struggling in the VA system, just know that there's lawyers right next to you also struggling. (laughs) All right. So I guess we talked at the VA system. What other what other questions have come up to you in the last couple of weeks? Supplemental needs trusts, um, which we know are treated differently by the VA, by the way. Um, But when do people create one? Like a lot of people, some put it in their will. We created a sub trust because usually these kids are living with their parents, off their parents um, or whatever the situation is, and they won't need the money or there won't be a use for it to be dispersed until the parents aren't here. But then we have trustees coming saying, well, this was already created. What's the EIN number? And I'm like, it wasn't created yet. It wasn't funded yet. So when do we create a supplemental needs trust and how? Okay. Well, first of all, let's say if you have a disabled child and, you know, there are different forms of disability. Obviously, you might have a disabled child who has a bad back, who worked 20 years let's say, in the police department, went out on disability. They're mentally fine. They collect a good pension. They collect Social Security disability. They can manage their own affairs. Well, we don't necessarily need a a special needs trust or supplemental needs trust for that person. Now, what do we need a supplemental needs trust if we have a disabled person, a person, let's say, who's on Medicaid, who's collecting benefits, We can leave assets to that. Let's say you have a child with Down syndrome. You want to leave some money to that child to help improve the quality of the life of the child. We could set up a supplemental needs trust. We can do it through your will. And basically, when you're gone, if we go through probate, your will leaves X amount of dollars to the disabled child. Um, That's fine, especially if you're younger. If you're older, you may want to leave assets directly into a supplemental needs trust. In other words, that you avoid probate on those assets, and the assets will be used in such a way not to take away the benefits from that child. If that child's, let's say, collecting Medicaid, let's say they're in a nursing home or another facility, you can set up the trust, the supplemental needs trust, where they can still receive their benefits, but have some money set aside for them. Somebody else has to manage the money for them, which ordinarily is going to be a family member. Again, doesn't have to be, but 90, 95% of the time, we encourage family first. So let's say you have a child who's disabled, they've got Down syndrome, and you appoint their brother or sister to be the trustee for them. They manage the money and then use the money to help improve their quality of life. But the disabled child does not have access to it, so they do not lose their benefits. And it is a tremendous tool. And some people think, you know, they hear somewhere, well, you can't leave anything to your disabled child because they're going to take it, they're going to lose the benefits. No. You can leave it. It has to be done the right way. It has to be done in a, in a supplemental needs trust. Now, some people say, what's the difference between a supplemental needs trust and special needs trust? 
usually a special needs trust on definition. That's where, let's say, the child comes into money without planning. We go to court, ask the court to approve the special needs trust, where the money can be used for the child's benefit while the child's alive, and after they're gone, it goes back to the state. If you set up the trust, a supplemental needs trust, the money can be used for the child's benefit, and then you choose the beneficiary, what we call a third-party trust. You choose the per the beneficiary after the disabled child dies. So in other words, you say, I leave a third of my estate to my son to be held in trust by his brother and sister, hold it for his lifetime, and then after he's gone, whatever's left in the trust, and there's usually something left in the trust, goes to your other children, grandchildren, whomever you choose. And, and a lot of people misunderstand this. They think you can't leave anything to a child that's collecting benefits. You can't. It has to be held in trust. Somebody else has to manage the assets. They're restrictions. So you can't just give the disabled child money because then they could lose their benefits. But you hold it in further trust, and in that way, you know, somebody else manages for the child. They keep their benefits, and then you choose the beneficiary after that child, you know, passes away. And if you got a question about this stuff, Give us a call at 718-238-6500, 718-238-6500. And by the way, if your relatives speak Spanish, you may ask to speak to Nicole. Yes, you may, because here I am. All right. One question, Mr. Connors, tying back into the power of attorney. Yeah. Do you, can disabled children sign power of attorneys? Like we get people who are 18 sometimes, slightly autistic. Do you recommend a power of attorney? They're still functional, but, you know, parents are having a hard time. Well, you might do it, especially if there's a possibility that something could happen. And, and you know, listen, I don't care if you're 18 years old in perfect health, you could be in a car accident. And we know some friends, that was a problem. Their son was in an accident, didn't have, he was 18, 19 years old, was in an accident, didn't have a power of attorney, didn't have a healthcare proxy. And the parents couldn't get access to his medical records to make a decision. And that can be a problem. And, you know, I'm not going to say, listen, we all play the odds, we all gamble a little bit. I'm not saying every 21 year old person should go out and sign a power of attorney. But at the same time, it, it, you really should say that if you have relatives out there you can trust, you, you probably think about doing a power of attorney. And you can put certain restrictions in there. In other words, that nobody can use the power of attorney unless a medical doctor says that you're not able to ha handle your affairs in a competent manner. You can say a psychiatrist says that, a psychologist. You make the terms up. But yes, almost everybody should really think about a power of attorney. You're 21 years old. You feel immortal. You don't have a power of attorney probably everything will be okay. It's just like a lot of younger people. They have younger children. They should appoint a guardian. They don't appoint a guardian. And they live to, you know, old age, and the kids are over 21, and there's no problem. But things happen occasionally, and if things do happen, hopefully you have the right plans in, in place. And, again, that's what we do in Connors and Sullivan. So give us a call at 718-238-6500, 718-238-6500. Thank you for listening to Ask the Lawyer. We'll be right back in a couple of minutes. Always a pleasure to be here. I think I just found myself believing that I didn't need God. I just had everything under control, and church was actually a, a burden to me. I might have gone to church, you know, at Christmas time, gradually quit going. No, I didn't take my faith seriously, which, which probably means I, I never really got it to begin with. You can have a beautiful car, a big fancy home, but if you don't have Christ in your life, there's an emptiness that's there. We are enslaved to power or to greed or to wealth. 
or to lust, especially as a man. But there's a true freedom to not be enslaved, but to attach ourselves to God and to be free. Thank God I'm home. Now that I'm back in the Catholic Church, I'm a new person. I love it. There's peace in our home that we didn't have before. You're coming home to a Catholic family where people today just embrace you. If you've been away from the Catholic Church for whatever reason, we invite you to take another look. Visit CatholicsComeHome.org today. Do you have somewhere to sleep? Did you eat today? Are you making ends meet? For thousands of New Yorkers, the answer is no. For children and youth, adults, seniors, people struggling with addiction or mental illness, and for the isolated, Catholic Charities of Brooklyn and Queens is there. With 160 programs and more than 4,500 units of affordable housing, Catholic Charities is one of the largest multi-service charitable organizations in the nation. We help change lives and build communities. If you or someone you know needs assistance, call 718-722-6001 or visit CCB. Do you know how many Christians live in the Middle East? Six million people. Do you know how many Christians need your help? Every single one. Do you know what we can do? With St. Francis in Beirut, we can give them hope. We can give them medicines. We can give them medical equipment. We can give them everything they're looking for because some others decided to remove Christianity from the Middle East. But if we will help them every single day, not just to feed them or clothing, it's all about giving them another day with the idea that they are recognized, that we love them, there are cousins, sisters, there are roots. So St. Francis in Beirut, it's all about helping Christians. And you can be part of that help too. If you want to help Father Paul in his mission, send your donations to St. Francis in Beirut 213 Stanton Street, New York, New York, 10002. How can I protect my family if something happens to me? What if I need to go to a nursing home? What will happen to our savings, our home? What's the best way to give my home to my kids? Who will help us take care of Grandpa? These and many other questions can be answered with a phone call to Connors & Sullivan Attorneys at Law, PLLC, 718-238-6500. Mike Connors, one of New York Magazine's top lawyers, has over 30 years of estate planning and elder law experience. Mike and his team of professionals will help you protect your assets from probate, taxes, and nursing home costs so you can have peace of mind knowing you and your family will be taken care of and protected. I'm Mike Connors, founder of Connors & Sullivan. People don't plan to fail, they fail to plan. The time to plan is now. I'm Beth Connors. Call today for a free initial consultation with one of our experienced lawyers. Connors and Sullivan in Brooklyn, Queens, Manhattan, and Staten Island. Call 718-238-6500, 718-238-6500, or connorsandsullivan.com. Welcome back to Ask the Lawyer with me, Mike Connors, now accompanied by my wife, Beth. Hello. And my son, Michael. Hello, everyone. Okay, so, you know, in in today's show, we talked mostly about estate planning. Last week, we talked about politics. This week, we talked about estate planning. And I think you can consider estate planning to be a stewardship. God gave you these assets while you were alive. You earned them, I know, but God helped you earn them, gave you the talents to earn them. And you do have kind of a, a duty, good stewardship to take care of those assets and do the best what you can after you're gone. And there's a, the question that came up with, you know, while we were doing the show that we saw this question. And Beth, you want to read it? Yes, it's from Bridget. I'm 75 years old and not in very good health. 
My son bought me a small dog to keep me company and outlive me. What can I do to make you sure? Bought the dog to outlive her? Well, that's what she said. <laughs> I think it might. I, maybe to always be with her. How about okay. that? All right. Well, the question, what she wants to know is, what can I do to make sure he's taken care of when I pass? Okay, well... Since your son gave you the dog, I suggest you leave this, your dog to your son and let him take care of the dog. But at the same time, for those people, let's say, who, who they don't, you know, have children who want to take their pets or whatever, there's, there's a program we talked about a few weeks ago with Bidewee, where Bidewee will take your pet. I think if you set up a gift to them for about $25,000, they take care of your pet. They'll even bury your pet in a cemetery. Um, otherwise... If you let's say you're leaving your pet to someone else besides an immediate family member, well, you can leave some money and trust for the pet to take care of it. And this is one thing one one woman once brought up to me one time. We're able to, um, you know, she she left her pet to uh, her dog to a woman who didn't have a lot of money. So she left that woman money and trust so that it wouldn't be a financial burden for her to take care of the dog. Because you know, like if if you don't think about it. But in some cases, the dog or is a financial burden. You got to feed it, you got to take it to vets, and veterinarian bills can be expensive right now. Very expensive. Oh my goodness. So we can either set up a trust for the pet and leave the leave money in trust to take care of the dog. We leave the dog in trust. In some cases, if there's going to be uh, a long delay and we don't want to probate the will, a lot of times I very very rarely have seen about a fight over a pet. Yes, it has happened, and if that's the case, if that's what you're afraid of, then we leave the pet in in a trust to one of the heirs or people that you want to take care of it. But, you know, just give it some thought. The main thing is sit down, have a plan together where you do have a plan, you know, for the dog, for the pet. And in this case, I mean, since your son gave you the dog, I would assume he's going to take the dog. And no offense to the dog, but hopefully in most cases the person will outlive the, the pet because all said and done, pets usually don't have the longest life expectancies. But 75 in bad health, I guess so. And, you know, I think I think sometimes it's a good idea for some older people to have, you know, a pet to keep them company because loneliness is one of the biggest problems some of the elderly people have, especially in the last couple of years, you know, with COVID and things like that. So... Uh, I, I think it's, you know, a worthy aspiration to give somebody a pet to keep them from being lonely. Um, and, and here's one thing, you know, like some people confuse this, and it's kind of funny, but some people confuse this. You can't leave money to the dog. You can't leave money to the cat. You can leave money in trust to take care of the dog. You can leave money in trust to take care of the cat. But you can't leave money to the dog or a cat. And some people feel... You know, because they read some stories about Leona Helmsley or whatever that she left money, you know, to take care of her, I guess, dog. Um, And then some people say, well, how can you leave money to the dog? You can't leave money to the dog. What you can do is leave money to a person to take care of the dog. And that's the general theory about, you know, pet trust, animal companion trust, whatever you call it. And if you have any questions about that, you can give us a call, 718-238-6500, 718-238-6500. And, you know, as we're talking about estate planning, Michael, uh, can you say again, where where can somebody get our 
And first of all, two things. Where can somebody email us a question? You're going to want to email us at askmikeconnors. That's Connors spelled C-O-N-N-O-R-S. That's askmikeconnors at gmail.com. And so just shoot us an email question there. Um, if it's something that's not too sensitive, you may hear it on the air. If it is or if it involves specifics, obviously we'll try to get back to you personally. Okay, and in the meanwhile, if somebody has, if they want to see our seminar that was put on YouTube, and we are going to be doing seminars at the end of June, and we'll announce the, the exact dates, but we're going to be in Brooklyn and Queens the end of June. But, Michael, where can somebody get the seminar online on YouTube? If you want to find the seminar online, get, give yourself an idea sort of what you might be in for in, ter in terms of estate planning and everything else. It, you know, a bit of a briefer before you come in for a consultation, possibly. You're going to want to go to YouTube.com and search Connors and Sullivan Video Seminar. Connors, of course, spelled the same way as I outlined. Connors and Sullivan Video Seminar. And you should see the first result right up at the top. It's going to be a nice long video. You're going to see Dad right there. And so, yeah, just give it a hit. Learn as much as you can from that and keep going with your estate planning. Contact us for a free consultation, 718-238-6500. What about the toy soldiers? Well, Michael, what, what what's the uh, if what's you want, the site oh, yeah. for that? If you want to uh, look up Dad's toy soldier collection, there is a video online. Just search Michael Connors toy soldier collection. Michael Connors toy soldier collection on YouTube, and it should be the first one right there as well. Um, it's actually got a lot more views than the seminar, so it goes to show you where people's priorities are. But yeah. well, do you have time to tell them what happened in Chicago? Well, here's the thing: shouldn't we be updating our or do another toy soldier video because we've got a lot more things. I think so. It's, it's added on. We add on every year. One. So yeah. I think so. And, and one of the things we have added on, and if you want to see it, come to our office, ask to see it. We've got yellow tavern and yellow tavern was developed by Marcus. And we met him at the uh, toy soldier show in Chicago last year. And Marcus was there with his friend, Mike, Mike Stenovich. And I walked into their, room at the, the Chicago Toy Soldier show, and they say, don't we know you? I said, no, I don't think so. I don't think we've ever met before. And he says, are you a lawyer from New York? And I said, uh, yes. yes. And he said, we saw your Toy Soldier collection on YouTube. How much fun is that? <laughs> and Marcus is brilliant. So we love Marcus. He's He made Yellow Tavern. What else did he make for Farnsworth you? Farnsworth House. The Farnsworth House from Gettysburg. And we've we've got to come up with something else for him. Yeah, I'm thinking about it, and I don't think Marcus is listening since he lives in the Chicago area. Well, that's okay. Uh, we're, we're, we're thinking about something else, Marcus. Maybe we'll our listeners now. It has to be Civil War, but if anybody, if you, if, if you... No, he did a beautiful bridge on Arnheim. It doesn't have to be Civil oh, War. Oh, okay, okay. You know, he did a magnificent bridge to the Battle of Arnheim in World War Two, So... I, he's pretty flexible. I'm the one who's, you know, as old Mr. Murphy once told me, you got to pick up, you got to pick your war and stick to it. And I strictly have not done that. We got a good diorama of the Battle of Culloden. We have a small diorama of Morgan's riflemen, you know, skirmishing with the Iroquois up in upstate New York. And we have a few other things. We have a couple of World War II guys or MPs. I was a military policeman. My father was a military policeman. So we've got some military policemen over the years in, in one display. And we do have some of the John Wayne movies, some scenes from John Wayne movies. We have the Alamo. We have 
uh, green berets. We have she wore yellow ribbon. We have the horse soldiers, and you know, just if you if Fort Apache, I think we got a great diorama on Fort Apache. So if you if you want to come over and you want to see the toy soldiers, you schedule a date. Now, usually the the best day to see toy soldiers when I'm not is when I'm not there because then the rooms are not in use or whatever. But if you want to see the toy soldiers, we'll give you a tour. Our office manager will look at you like you're a little crazy and I don't want to be bothered, but somebody will be happy to (laughs) give you a tour of the toy soldiers. Meanwhile, I think we ran out of time, Michael. We'll see you next week at the same time and places. Thank you so much for joining us. Bye-bye, everybody. We are gathered here on hallowed ground, voices raised, heads bowed down. We're gathered here on hallowed ground to sing this soul away. Kevin McCullough, are you or your parents' assets protected from nursing home bills? Did you know these bills can exceed $15,000 a month? People work their entire lives to live comfortably in retirement, but when people become ill and need to go to a nursing home or receive home care, the bills can drain their assets, leaving many people bankrupt. The good news is that you can prevent that from happening if you plan in advance. Connors & Sullivan's lawyers can customize a plan that specifically protects your interests, including your home. Schedule a free comprehensive telephone consultation with Mike Connors to discuss your issues and concerns from the security of your home. Call today, 718-238-6500, 718-238-6500. Don't let nursing home bills take your life's savings and leave you and your loved ones bankrupt. Don't wait another minute. Mike Connors can take you through the process by telephone and start a plan designed for you today. That's 718-238-6500. 718-238-6500. The preceding pre-recorded program paid for by Connors & Sullivan Attorneys at Law, PLLC.